I'm just curious. Uh, we had a little bit of a conversation earlier of how many people would recognize that song. So, so there, there, there was this idea that there might be a generational gap. How many people recognize that song? All right, that's what I thought. I thought even young people would know that song. Now, there were a couple young people. If you haven't, let's, let's call out the people that haven't. Just kidding, but not really. If you don't know that song, raise your hand. We won't make fun of you, don't worry. Okay, so there's still quite a few people that know that song. That's totally fine. It's still a very popular song. And Frank Sinatra was just a performer. He was an artist, wasn't he? Like, if you listen to that song, it's just the way he builds it up and the, the trumpets just hit just right in time. And, and uh, man, it just makes you feel like, yeah, I did it my way. And there's some, some really Fierce independence in that song, right? I think a lot of people like that song and the song resonates with them. Why? Because we want to know, be known as people that do it my way. It's my way or the highway, right? It, it's me. It's this self-independence. I don't need to be told what to do. I can do it my way. And what's, I mean, we don't even have to search really deep to find the underlining meaning here, do we? The, the last little verse really gets me. I, I should say, really reveals. And we hear it. Not the one who kneels. And oftentimes we hear the song, and it's a song that's played in movies. So it, it, if you've known it, and you haven't, you're not into Sinatra, you probably heard it from a new movie. So you might not even pay attention to the lyrics. But that lyric... He doesn't want to be known as someone who kneels. Meaning, he doesn't want to bend his knee to someone or something else. And I think a lot of us have that same feeling. A lot of us, especially in America, but I think in humanity in general, we want to be independent. We want to do things my way. If you want to know what started the sexual revolution, and by knowing what started it, where it will end, I think you can look towards the song, actually. And I know a lot of people wouldn't correlate this song with the sexual revolution. But think about it for a second. I don't want to do things any other way but my way. Meaning, I really want to be the one who is in control of my life. I want to be the God of my life. I don't want to hear anyone else call the shots. I want to be self-defining. I want to set the rules. I want to set the boundaries. And so it started off with this idea, not even knowing where it would end, but this idea that I can, I can set the boundaries for my own sexuality. And now we're starting to see how that plays out. If I set the bounds, if I define sexuality, and I don't have any authority over me defining what sexuality is, then eventually it will play out where there is no authority but my own. And I can make up anything I want. Because after all, I'm going to do it my way. And as much as I even enjoy the song, it is revealing of a rebellion. A rebellion against a God 
who, was, who created, and in creation set principles forth that if followed produce a life of meaning and a life of purpose. God is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the king and the one with ultimate authority, not myself. And that's what we're going to get into today as we look at Psalm 93. So turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 93. Psalm 93 starts off what we would call the magisterial psalms, uh, from 93 all the way through 100. So as we finish out the Summer in the Psalms series, we're going to be looking at these magisterial psalms. The magisterial psalms are all about God's sovereignty, that God is the ruler of the world, that God is the authority of the world, that God is sovereign over the world. So we might be listening to that song. We won't listen to the full song every week, but we might be listening to parts of that every week because I think it's good for us to remember. And every time you hear that song, I want you to think through, am I doing it my way or am I doing it God's way? So let's read through Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord is on, is on high, is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. So let's dig in a little bit. The, the first line right there is the Lord reigns. This term reigns means to assert your authority. So the psalmist here recognizes that not only does God have authority, but he has asserted his authority. So you can have authority and you can be passive in your authority or you can be active in your authority. I think parents kind of can recognize this really well. When my kids come and ask me a question, they recognize that I have authority, right? So if, we're, or if it's early in the morning, I've just woken up and they come running up to me and they say, Dad, can I have a popsicle? They recognize that I am the ruler of the popsicles. I have authority over the popsicles. You cannot have a popsicle without at first consulting me because I am master of the popsicles. But I don't always insert my, or assert my authority. So Jen and I both have authority in our household. Now, oftentimes, and I think Ladies, you'll recognize this too. The dad defers authority to the wife, right? Uh, and there's a reason for that. Jen has a plan throughout the day. She is in the house all day. She has a plan for the kids throughout the day. I'm going to leave soon to work or to the office. So I don't know exactly what her plan is. So when I wake up in the morning and the kids come running up to me and they say, Dad, can I have a popsicle? They recognize my authority over the popsicle. But I have passive authority because I say, go ask your mom. That's not asserting my authority. That's not reigning over the popsicles. Then Jen will, I, and I should probably just say no because I know what Jen's going to say. No, it's in the morning. Don't eat popsicles in the morning. Have your breakfast. We'll eat popsicles in the afternoon. Passive authority. That's not what God is doing here. He doesn't have passive authority. It's not that he has the authority, but he chooses not to use it. 
He has asserted his authority into this world. He has the authority. He is the ruler of this world. He is the sovereign of this world. And he asserts his authority into this world. That's what that first line is getting at. The Lord reigns. He has authority and he asserts his authority in this world. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. So we get from this, this idea of robe. This, it's used twice. And some of your translations will say clothed. And the idea is that there is some clothing that is representing God. The psalmist recognizes, and it was very important in those days, that clothing meant something. It it represented something. It would be similar to us about uniforms, right? So when you see someone wearing certain uniforms, you can identify them easily, right? So when you show up to an accident, and you'll see several different uniforms. You'll see probably some police officer uniforms, some firefighter uniforms, some EMT uniforms, right away you can start to identify who's who and what they're doing based upon their uniforms. This is kind of the idea that the psalmist is getting at here, that he is robed. This is his uniform. And then he describes what his uniform is. It's majesty. This term majesty means like regal clothing or royal clothing. So first of all, God is clothed. His uniform is royal We can recognize that he is king. He has authority. He has asserted his authority. And his clothing represents his authority. His majesty, his regal clothing, reveals that he is king over all the earth. Not only is it majesty that he's clothed in, but he has strength as his belt. This term belt really means like gird or or what holds things up. So what holds up his kingly authority? His strength. His power. God has infinite power, infinite strength. When you think of the most powerful thing, what do you typically think of? I often think of all the videos of nuclear explosions. You know, you see like trees disintegrating. You see the mushroom cloud. Man, that's power. Nothing compared to God's power. In Colossians, Paul writes that all things are held together by him. Meaning that if for some reason God ever ceased to exist, everything else would cease to exist as well. Think about the power. He holds all things together. Every single molecule, every atom in your body that's holding you together is there because God. He's what's holding you together. If he ceased to exist, so would you. And this is what holds up his authority, his kingliness. He holds all power in this world. The last line of verse 1, I actually, we've talked about this before, and I think it's always important to state that the, the numbers, the chapter, and the verse numbers that you find in your Bible are not inspired. So they weren't there originally. Uh, later on, humans came along and they said, hey, you know what would really help us make sense of the Bible is if we put some numbers in there. So when I say, oh, like Psalm said, King David said in the Psalms, 
then I won't have to scratch my head and think, what are you talking about? I can look and I can identify. Or when I say, when Paul said in, in chapter 1, verse 17 of Colossians, you don't have to scratch your head. You can easily identify it. When we memorize our swords, we can easily identify those. That's, that's what the numbers came along in. But sometimes, not often, but sometimes I think they made a mistake when they did their numbering. And I would say that this happens here. Uh, I think the last line in verse 1 should actually be the first line in verse 2. So we've talked, as we've been studying the Psalms, we've talked about tricolons and bicolons. And uh, I think that's important as we study the Psalms. Like, why did, why did the psalmist make a bicolon here? Two lines. Why did he have a, a tricolon? Three lines here. This should be a, a tricolon starting in verse 2, and actually the rest of Psalm 93 will be tricolons. So he begins with a bicolon, two lines about God, how God reigns and what he's clothed in, and then the rest of them are going to be tricolons describing God's authority. So we're going to start with the first tricolon. Yes, the world is established. It shall not, never be moved. Your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting. This word world here, yes, the world, is uh, there's two words, there's more than two, but, but there's typically two words in the Hebrew that are translated world in our English. One is tevel, the other one is eros, and both of them are translated as world. Eros means more like the earth, like the actual physical earth. Tevel means humanity. It's more of, of an idea of the human world, the world in which we interact in. This is Tavel. So, yes, humanity, the world in which we interact, is established. This term established brings with it the idea that God created man, and with the creation of man, he also created these principles that should govern man. Read through Proverbs. You'll find all kinds of principles that we can live our life by. Now, it's important to recognize that there's a difference between a principle and a guarantee. Salvation is a guarantee. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are guaranteed salvation. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 1. That the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. A principle isn't necessarily a guarantee. A principle is, this is the basic way the world operates. One of the basic principles of humanity is God created us with family structures in mind. And with healthy family structures come a healthy society. If you take apart the family structure, society will collapse. If you want a healthy society, you start with healthy families. That's a principle. That's the way God created us. It starts with a healthy family. That's the, the building block. And a healthy family starts with a healthy mother and father. Without a healthy mother and father, you won't have a healthy family. So that's a basic principle. That's, that's how God has established the interactions of humanity. But there's all kinds of other basic principles. Study Proverbs, you'll find a bunch of basic principles that we can apply to our life. But that's what he's getting at here. Yes, the, hu the human world, the humanity that interacts is established. It's, it's been built with basic principles. It shall never be moved. 
that line it shall never be moved, is basically these basic principles that we can live our life with won't change. They're solid. The family structure that we can build society around, it's never going to change where God says, no, you know what, I messed up with family structure. Let's no longer have healthy families. That's not how we build healthy societies. That's not going to be moved. Those basic principles of how we can live our life will always be the same. So the world is established, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. This term of old is a reference to creation. So it's when did God establish or assert his authority into this world? Well, it's when he created the world. At, upon creation, he declared himself king. So he is king over humanity. He asserted it upon creation. Just the fact that he created us shows that he is the king. He has the authority over us. You are from everlasting. This term everlasting is, we've talked about it before in this series, it's a term that means vanishing point. So if we hiked to the top of the San Francisco peaks, you can really see a great view, can't you? You can see if, if it's a clear day and there's no pollution, there's no clouds, you can see as far as your eyes will allow you. And that's what this term is getting at. You, you can see as far as you can, but you know the earth continues on. You know there's stuff that goes beyond that. That's what this term means, is that God lasts as far as our finites can think of but we also know that he goes beyond our finite minds. As big of a number as humanity can think of, God goes beyond that. He operates beyond our minds. That's what he's getting at with you are from everlasting. He is beyond us. And then the tone switches a little bit here. So he, describes, he, he lets us know that God is clothed. He gives us that he has established humanity, that he has authority over humanity. And then he switches tones a little bit here. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. And so he starts to describe destruction, right? That's what floods do. We've, we've had a bout of some flooding here. And we can see the destruction. There's something that's kind of captivating about those videos. Have you seen the videos of, of the the water coming down, it's got all the debris, and man, it moves. And not only does the water move, but it moves stuff, including cars. I took a break from mountain biking while it was raining. Uh, so this last week, I finally got back on the trail because it had finally dried up. And the trail, one of my favorite trails, was like a completely different trail. There were huge sections of this trail that were just washed out. So we see destruction from the rain, from the flood. The floods bring destruction. On our way to Denver during our vacation, we had to drive across I-70, I-70 corridor that's in the Rocky Mountains, and it got closed and we had to take a three-hour detour because there was a mudslide that was produced by flooding. And actually I've heard that it is closed indefinitely again because of the mudslides. Think of the devastation that water can bring. I think of years ago, 
when I was younger, my, I was visiting my cousin out in Kauai, and there were these record-setting waves that were coming in. And we wanted to go see these record-setting waves. And so we, we went to this beach, and uh, man, the waves were so huge that these surfers were, had to get towed in. And they looked like little specks on these huge waves. And I was an, I'll be honest with you, I actually had a little bit of anxiety. I typically don't have anxiety, but watching these guys get towed into such powerful waves, I felt a little bit of anxiety. But what actually gave me, I think, more anxiety was we came up to where the waves were crashing on the shore, and it was like there was a river rushing along because the waves were taking off the sand and it was a cliff and then the, the wave would come again and it would just wash huge amounts of sand down the beach. And if you had come a couple days earlier and then a couple days later and not known that there were wave, what was happening, you would have thought you had come to two different beaches. The water was literally changing the look of the beach right in front of my eyes. Wow, that is powerful. And those are just the small floods. If we think back to Genesis and the global flood, think of the destruction that that global flood would create. That our continents were all one continent at one point. And then when the global flood comes, it actually breaks the continents apart and starts to smash them together and actually builds the mountains that we see today. Think about the destruction of the global flood. That's what he's getting at here. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods have lifted their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. The floods represent destruction. But that's not all floods represent in Isaiah 17 and throughout other Old Testament scriptures, we see that floods become symbolic to kingdoms and ideologies that are rebellious against God. And they're symbolic for that because floods bring about destruction and so does rebellion against God. So anything that rebels against God brings destruction. So what is he saying here? He's saying that look at the floods. Look at, look at this rebellion that is bringing about destruction, God. So he establishes God's authority. He says, God, you reign over all. You're, you've established the world. But look at the, at the flooding of rebellion against you. Look at these nations that are rebelling against you. Look at these ideas that just shake their fist at you and say, forget you, God. I want to do things my way. They're roaring. They're scary. They might even bring some anxiety when we see the rebellion. But then verse 4, Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So in the midst of the destruction that the floods and the rebellion brings, we can take comfort that God is mightier. This term mightier really just means exactly that, mightier or stronger, stronger than. And when I think about this, it's, it's that God, His strength, the power that girds His authority should bring us comfort. 
what does he say? He says, mightier than. The Lord on high is mighty. He's declaring throughout the noise. He's declaring God's might, God's strength. And how do we find comfort in the midst of the flood of rebellion against God? We declare to one another and we declare to ourselves God's strength, God's might. And we take comfort in that. When I think about that, I think about my kids. Every single one of my kids at some point have been obsessed with my muscles. Uh, I'm not like some huge beefcake body lifter or weightlifter either, bodybuilder. I can't even get the term straight, right? So I'm not like this huge muscly guy. But every single one of them, at some point in their life, not for their entire life, but at some point in their life, have just been fascinated. And they like hold on to my muscles and they're like, flex, dad, and I'll flex for them and they'll be in awe. And I'm like, if you ever really want to feel good about yourself, flex for a kid, right? (laughs) And I'll flex for them, and they're all just like, wow. And then I remember as a kid doing the same thing to my dad. My dad wasn't a bodybuilder either. He was a mechanic. He never worked out. But I remember holding onto his arm and just being in awe of his muscles and feeling so safe. Because my dad had muscles and he cared for me and he protected me. And I know my kids are doing the same when they are in awe of my muscles. They're like, my dad loves me. He protects me. And he's bigger than me. Kids need to know that they're not the ones in charge. Sometimes we let kids kind of be the ones in charge, and all that does is produce fear and anxiety. Because they see the world, and they know the world is a big, scary place, and if there's no one bigger than them, protecting them, well, that's a fearful place to be. And I think the same is true for us. It's not our parents that we hold on to anymore, but it is God and His strength knowing that the world can be a big, scary place, knowing that the floods of rebellion are roaring, that the waves are crashing and they're thundering. But God is bigger and God is stronger and He is everlasting. He's bigger than our finite minds can compute. And that should give us comfort that this God who is so huge loves and protects you and is there to comfort you. He finishes this out with one last tricolon. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. So he's established that God is the ruler, that God has the authority, that God has asserted his authority on this earth. And even though he's done that, And even though he has established humanity, there are people, there are kingdoms, there are ideologies that rebel against God, that shake their fist against God. And even though those floodwaters rise, God is still mightier than the rebellion. God is still stronger than rebellion. We can still find comfort in that. And with that in mind, he concludes with your decrees are very trustworthy. The decrees are like the statutes or the principles that we can count on. Trustworthy just means reliable. We can trust that God's principles will remain. We can trust that God's principles, the principles that he built this world with, 
will not let us down. And we can trust that if we follow God's principles, we will live a better life. We can also count, and I think this is a direct saying towards the people that are living in rebellion, we can count that God's principles will not be overturned. They can count that when they reject and rebel against God's principles, destruction will come. And we need this reminder because sometimes it seems like the opposite is true. Sometimes in the small time frame of our life, it feels like the ones who are rebelling against God are the ones who are succeeding. The ones who are rebelling against God are the ones with the bigger voice, and they are the ones with the momentum, and it seems like they are going to swallow God and his principles up. But we can trust that whatever rebellion it is, God has seen it before. God has seen it before, and he has outlasted it. His decrees are trustworthy. We can count, we can trust in the principles that he used to establish this world. Holiness befits your house. This term holiness really just means otherness, and I love it because it's like God is so great and so incomprehensible that the word we use to describe him is other than. The term other than. I mean, we can't even really comprehend just how awesome he is. We just know that he's more than human. He's so much more than human that he's just other than human. He's just greater than human. And in this term in particular, it's describing his authority and his rule. His authority and his rule is not like my authority or my rule over my own little household where I become passive in my authority and defer to my wife. It is a perfect authority. It is a perfect rule. He has established humanity and in his rule over humanity, he has perfection. It's an otherness that we can't even really describe. So his otherness befits, this term befits really means like magnify or glorify. So his otherness glorifies his dwelling place. His otherness magnifies his dwelling place. O Lord, forevermore. This word forevermore is really two words, and it means uh, it's literally like forever days, meaning forever. The days will never end where his holiness glorify his dwelling place. He will always be holy. He will always, in his holiness, glorify where he dwells forevermore. So we see that God has asserted his authority. He has established humanity with certain principles that he will always have, that we can count on. So he's asserted his authority he has established humanity, and even though there is rebellion against humanity, God is mightier than the rebellion, and for this, his glory will fill his dwelling place 
forevermore. And for this reason, we are not like one who never kneels. One who says, I'm going to do things my way. But may we be a congregation that says, Lord, through it all, I have trusted you. And I have kneeled, I have bowed my knee to you. And God, let us do it your way. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have all authority. And not only have you all authority, but you have asserted your authority into this world. You have brought about principles that we can count on that are reliable. And even though the flood waters rise and rebellion and are noisy and are, can sometimes produce anxiety, we can trust you because you are mightier then. And in all of this, Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.